scripture reading comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is the reading of God's word. So today we're actually in the book of Micah. Uh, this book is maybe not too well known to a lot of people, but verse 8, which uh, Toby read for us towards the end, obviously, of the passage, is pretty famous where we read, He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That, I'm sure, might be familiar to a lot of you. It's, it's a pretty famous verse. And as we think about this passage today, and we're going to get to that part, obviously, of the passage as well, I want to think about our hearts. Uh, in this passage, God is, in a sense, calling out his people. He says, I have an indictment. Right? He's, he's rebuking them. He's calling them out because their hearts are not where they should be. God obviously wants a relationship with his people. God wants his people to give all of themselves to him with all of their hearts, with all of themselves, to really love God, right? To love each other, to be a blessing. And yet, we see, we see a problem. We see that God's people are not being faithful. They're not living the way they're called to live. And he, he calls them out. And we kind of see how they respond to that. And so, as we look at this passage today, I hope we can also look at our own hearts and ask ourselves, where am I? Where's my heart? Am I right with God today? Am I living a life that truly is honoring to him, or am I living a life that is not honoring to God? And how does God speak to me, and how do I respond? How should I respond to God's call in my life? So there's really three points I have today. It's, I'll call it the problem, the reminder, and the call, right? Three points, the problem, the reminder, and the call. And I'm going to start with the problem. If you look at this passage, this is how it starts in chapter 6, verse 1. We read, uh, you know, at least in my Bible, it says, the indictment of the Lord. And it says, hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains of the hills. Hear your voice. Hear your mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people. He will contend with Israel. And in verse 3, this is what we read. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. 
we see an indictment, and, right? And we see God actually telling the mountains, right, the foundations of the earth, almost as witnesses, his indictment against his people, and his exact words in verse 3 are, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And what we're seeing is the people of God, they have lost interest in their God. But they're called to covenant faithfulness. God has blessed his people, and there's supposed to be a response, a faithful response to their God. But we see that there's a breach of covenant here. The people of God are not being faithful. They're not taking they're not interested in God. They're taking God's blessings for granted, kind of doing their own thing. And in verse 3, <clears throat> what we see, the implication here is that the people of Israel feel like God has let them down. They've grown tired. They've grown weary of God. And that's why he says the word, how have I wearied you? What have I done to you? The people of God are not on fire for God. They have no interest in worshiping God. They have no interest in giving their heart to the Lord and living with hearts of worship. You know, the first song we sang today, right, you and I are made to worship, right? That's, that's a very true word. We're made to worship God. We're made to honor him. We're made to love him. And yet, what we see in the passage is the people of God, the Israelites, they're tired. They're weary. They don't want to worship God. They don't want their hearts to go to God. They're, they're sick of it. And I have a question for us, for you, for me. Where is my heart at? Right? What does my heart look like? Is my heart pumping, excited to worship God, to live for God, to live for his glory? When we sing songs that we sang today forever, you are faithful. You and I are made to worship knowing God. You know, it was funny. I was singing these songs. I got nostalgic. The first song, I think it was like mid-2000s, 2005, 2006. And I remember singing that around that time. And I was like, oh, oldie but a goodie. And then the next song, Forever, I think it was made like 2000, right? I was thinking, oh, man, even older. And then the last song, Knowing God, I think that's from like the 90s, right? And I was thinking like it's getting older and older. But they're all great songs. But these songs, as we sing these songs, is my heart saying, God, I want to know you. Is my heart saying, forever you are faithful, I'm so grateful? Or am I praising God saying, you and I, we're made to worship? Is my heart on fire for God? Am I passionate for God? Do I have a desire to live for his glory? Or am I weary? Am I bored of God? Am I sick and tired of, you know, of all the rules I feel like God has? Why can't I do this? Why do I have to do this? Why do I on a Sunday have to be at church to worship? Why can't I just do whatever else I want to do? Why do I have to tithe? Why do I can't just keep all my money for myself? Why do I have to give time for community groups and to serve and do this and do that? Why do I have to sacrifice? Do I feel like it's all a drag? Am I just going through the motions and I'm just weary? I'm tired of church. I'm tired of God. I'm tired of life. Is that me? Or am I saying, Lord, I want my heart to be aligned to you because I love you because you have loved me. Where am I? I think a lot of times, you know, we ask questions like this of ourselves in our spiritual lives. Did I go to church? Did I pray? Do I serve? And these are all external things. And sometimes we can do those external things, but our hearts are not there. So Maybe the better question might be not did I go to church, but 
did I go to church and really genuinely desire to worship God through that? Even my, my question shouldn't be, did I pray or do I even, did I do my devotional? But maybe the better question is, did I really intimately meet with the Lord today in my prayer, in my devotional? Right? Maybe my question to myself shouldn't be, am I serving? But as I'm serving, am I really learning the heart of Christ and desiring to be a blessing to others, right? These externals are good things, of course. Of course I should go to church. Of course I should serve. Of course I should pray. But am I tiresome? Am I weary? Or do I have a heart for the Lord? And so God is saying, the problem is you are tired of me. You are weary. Your heart is far away from me. I want your heart. I don't want just your actions. I don't want just your words. I want your heart. But you are weary. You are tired. You are disobedient. And so God calls them out. But then if you look at later in the passage, if you look at verse seven, 6 and 7, interestingly, this is their response. With what shall I come before the Lord, bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Interestingly, here's the response. When God calls out his people for their lack of faithfulness, their disobedience, their lack of their heart being you know, towards God, the response isn't what God wants to hear. What God wants to hear is, forgive me, repentance. They, he, they, he wants to hear faith. I need you. I trust you. I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to give you all of my heart. But instead, what does he get? He gets rituals. He gets actions, empty actions. They're saying, what do you want from me? God, what do you want from me? Should I come with you with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Now, I want you to understand something here. Calves a year old are very expensive. They're expensive sacrifice. So they're saying, do you want an expensive sacrifice? And then watch this. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Hey, not just a calf. Even more expensive, do you want me to bring thousands of rams? And then he ups it one more with 10,000 of rivers of oil, which is even more expensive. This is like billions of dollars, I think, at this point. So what they're saying is, what do you want from me, God? You want expensive sacrifice, even more expensive, super expensive? And then they take it to another place. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? They say, what do you want from me? Do you even want my firstborn, something that will pay me so much, the best that I can give? What do you want? It's almost as if they feel like I can buy God. I can buy his love. I can buy his forgiveness just by doing more, giving more. And again, sometimes we do that too. We feel guilty that our hearts are not right with God. We feel guilty that I'm not really worshiping God. So what do I say? Okay, God, let me serve a little bit more. Okay, God, let me give a little more offering. Oh, God, I'll go to another prayer meeting. I feel guilty, right? I'll read the Bible a little bit more. Are you going to be okay with that then? Or maybe we want good things to happen in our lives. So let me pray a little bit more, right? Let me do a little bit more. Let me give a little bit. What more do you want from me, God? Have I done enough? It's rituals. It's rituals. And that obviously is not what God wants. God doesn't want rituals. God doesn't want half-hearted actions. He wants our hearts. 
Right? When we think about Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve. He wants a relationship with them. They sin. There's a fall. It's a separation. And so God still wants a relationship. And he calls Abraham and obviously the Israelites as his people. He wants a relationship with them. He brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He gives them the Ten Commandments. There's a covenant there. He said, you are my people. I am your God. And again, he wants obedience because he wants a relationship. He wants their heart. But the Israelites at this point are saying, we don't care about the relationship. We don't care about the heart. We just want to do whatever you want me to do. Do the bare minimum. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. I'll take care of it. It kind of reminds me of teenagers. Right? You know, when you're young, you just love your parents. You just want to be with your parents. My kids, obviously, are still really young, so they love mommy and daddy, well, especially mommy, right? But they love mommy and daddy. They want to do whatever mommy and daddy's doing. You know, they want to, you know, put at the table. They want to, you know, whatever we're doing, whether it's housework, whether it's playing, they just, they just want to be with mom and dad. But what happens? You get to a certain age. Mom and dad, you're not as cool anymore, right? I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to be sitting in public with you sometimes. Right? You go to the mall with your, you know, with your parents. I remember when I was growing up, sometimes I'd go shopping with my mom. I'd be like, mom, just kind of stay right there. Let me just walk from a distance. Right? You just want their money. You just want what they can give you. But you don't always want the relationship. I'm sure our teenagers are not like that. You guys are amazing, I'm sure. I wasn't like that. I remember at that point in my life, just kind of like, and then what do you do? You do things for your parents, but you don't do it because you're joyful. You want to be a blessing to your parents. You just do it because you have to. Mom says, throw out the trash. I don't want to do it. You complain about it. You say things, and you just do it. Mom says, you know, do the dishes, vacuum, whatever. Whatever they tell you to do, do your homework, and you don't want to do it. There's no joy. You say, let's go do something as a family. You don't want to do that. You complain, but you just do it. You just go through the motions even though your heart's not fully in it. And that's what we're seeing with the Israelites. And often, that's me, that's you. We do things for God, but we're far away from him in our hearts. And so what does God do? How does he respond to that? And the second point is a reminder, right? The first point was the problem. Now we see the reminder. What does God do? Look at verse 4 with me, 4 and 5. This is what God does. He says, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised. But Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Now, what's going on here? Verse 4 and 5. He's reminding them of the Exodus. He's reminding them that they were slaves in Egypt. Verse 4, I brought you off from the land of Egypt. He's saying, you were slaves. I rescued you and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And then what did you say? I sent you Moses, Aaron, Miriam. I gave you leaders. I gave you people that will bless you and shepherd you and lead you through the wilderness. Verse 5, my people, remember what Balaam, king of Moab, devised, what Balaam, son of Bear, answered him. Balaam wanted a curse upon the Israelites. He told Balaam to curse them, but what does God do? He doesn't allow the curse to happen. He makes him, instead of cursing, give a blessing to his people. And then what happened when Shittim to Gilgal, that's the end. When they're going into the promised land, he's saying, I was with you, rescuing you from the Egyptians, brought you out of the land of slavery. I divided the Red Sea, 
You went to the wilderness. I gave you leaders like Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to guide you through the wilderness for 40 years. But I gave you manna. I gave you food. I gave you blessing. I led you with the pillar of fire. And even towards the end, across the Jordan River to the promised land, I was with you. He is reminding them of their, his love for his people. You know, that's important. I remember this past summer, you know, I, I visited... I visited Korea. My parents lived there, and I think many of you know, but my mother had, you know, had cancer, and you know, it was really rough, but then she was able to beat it. And so when she got better, my sister and I said, we have to visit. So we went to Korea last year in the summer, and while we were there, I was just kind of like looking around their house, and I saw all these pictures, the pictures of you know, my family now, my sister's family, and you know, current pictures, but we also saw like old pictures of you know, us when we were like, five or six, or, you know, things like that. And I guess my parents still like to look at those pictures and remember. And I remember as I was looking at some of these old pictures, you know, something happened just in my heart. You know, maybe it was, I was a little extra emotional because I knew how sick my mom had been, but I was just reminded of all this nostalgia, of all the stuff that happened when I was growing up. And one of the things that stuck in my head was how blessed I was, how when I was a kid, my mother and my father, how much they loved me, how much they blessed me, how they were always there for me, taking care of me. I, even now, they continue to bless, be a blessing in my life and my family's life. And I remember just my heart just getting all warm, right, and a little fuzzy and just kind of, you know, wanting to almost shed a tear as I was reminded of their faithfulness. That's what God is doing. He's telling them, when your heart is getting cold, when you want to be away from me, let me remind you who I am, what I have done for you. And that's what God does for us. When my heart is going cold, when I'm getting weary, when I'm tired, it's all becoming a drag, I'm bored, and I don't want to do this anymore. What do we need? We need to be reminded that God is faithful. We sing songs like we sang today, forever you are faithful, forever you are good. We think about being redeemed from our house of slavery, from our sins, our evils, our death, our condemnation, our hell. We think of how Christ, he had to suffer and die, take our place to forgive us of our sins. We think about how we are not only saved, but how God has blessed us with pastors and friends and people in our lives that have blessed us, how he has given us shepherds and leaders and others to help us in our spiritual lives. We think about all the hardships we've had and how God was with us all throughout those things and how, just like we see in this passage, to the promised land, how until the day we die, until we will be God with, with God for eternity, how he will continue to be faithful. When my heart is cold, when I am weary, I need the gospel. I need to be reminded of God's faithfulness, his love. And that is what God is doing. And so we see the problem, we see the reminder, but lastly, we see the call. So he says, okay, this is your problem. This is my reminder to you of my faithfulness. So your heart can be on fire for me again. And let me tell you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, to love kindness, 
and to walk humbly with your God. You know, if you look at that, it's a reminder of actually in the New Testament where Jesus says, you know, all the law can be, can be summarized, right? In, in the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This right here, it's an Old Testament version of that. To do justice, to love kindness, that's love your neighbor, and to walk humbly with your God, that is to love the Lord your God. And when we look at this call, what do we see? We see, honestly, the heart of God. God is a God of justice. God is a merciful, loving, and kind God. Right? God is showing us a picture of who he is and calling us to be like him. What does it mean to do justice? You know, one, one commentator writes this, the idea of justice is that we are to treat people fairly, giving them what is due to them. A person who does justice is one who treats people right, offering respect, integrity, fairness. Right? Justice means I treat you the way you should be treated. I treat you fairly. I treat you kindly, lovingly. Right? I treat you the way you should be. And actually, Tim Keller adds this to this idea of justice, that to do justice, you should be deeply committed to helping the most vulnerable people in your society. Right, you should care for the poor, the immigrant, the most vulnerable class. So to do justice as a Christian means I treat people fairly, and I want to be a blessing to the poor, to the immigrant, to those who are vulnerable. But that also means this. That means if I'm all about justice, when I see injustice, it should bother me. But see, as a Christian, when I hear about people that are poor, that are hungry, right, that are being mistreated, it should bother me. It should irk me. It should actually make me angry. Why? Because our God is a God of justice. So that means knowing God, knowing God's heart means I want to fight for justice and I want to fight against injustice. I remember hearing a story from a man named Rob Morris. He's a, he's a founder and president of an organization called the Love of 46. And they fight, you know, sexual slavery and exploitation. And he shared a story once that kind of resonated with me, stayed with me. And he was talking about when he was, I think he was middle school or high school, something like that, and he was in a school bus. And he said as he was in a school bus, one day he saw outside of his school bus another kid, probably another teen, was getting beat on. That there were a bunch of other guys just really just bullying and hurting another, another guy outside the school bus. And so he saw it. Now, obviously, it bothered him, but he didn't do anything. But then he said one of the other kids on the school bus, seeing this, got really upset and ran to the front and told the bus driver to stop the bus. He went outside to help this other kid who was getting picked on, who was getting beat on. And he was sharing with us that, you know, a lot of times when we see injustice, we're like him. We're in the school bus. We, we, we see, we say, oh, that's terrible, but we don't to do anything. And he was saying, as Christians, there is a call to fight against injustice, to fight for justice, to want justice, to pray for justice, but ask yourself, what can I do to, to help bring it about? And I think that's, that's an important point. Obviously, sometimes we can't maybe physically be somewhere like that, 
but to ask ourselves, how can we be for justice? Whether it's time that we can give, our personal selves, whether it's money, whether it's our prayers. But the point is, as Christians, we need to desire to do justice. But also, he says, to love kindness. Now, this word here, kindness, or the word being translated, it's the Hebrew word has said, and it's honestly one of the hardest words in the Old Testament to translate with one term. Because in different contexts, it's translated differently. So in the Bible, it may be translated as mercy, faithfulness, loving kindness. It's a description of, or really a great description of God's faithfulness. Uh, it's a great description of his kind, merciful, covenant love. And one commentator puts it like this. He says, this word has said, means it gives where no giving is required, it acts when no action is deserved, and it penetrates both attitudes and activities. But to love kindness, then, is to look on the weak and the vulnerable with the eyes of God's love, to give them not what they deserve, but to give them what they need. I think that's, uh, that's helpful, right? When we think of said, we think of God's kindness, which then we think of his mercy, his forgiveness of us, and his continued kindness to us. But that means if I know his mercy and his love, it means I need to love. I need to desire to treat you, to treat others as Christ has treated me. That means I want to love you even whether I get something out of it or I don't. It means even if I'm upset with you, I don't want to give up on you, and I want to bless you with the love that God has blessed me with. That's hard. That's really hard to do. But again, we're reminded this is God. God is a God of justice, but God is a God of loving kindness, of mercy, and that means I am called to be like him, to forgive even when I don't want to, to be kind when I don't want to, to love even if it doesn't benefit me necessarily. Why? Because I want to show Christ to you. So we're reminded to do justice, to love, but lastly, it says to walk humbly with your God. Now, what does that mean? To love God, obviously, is to walk with him, and it means a lifestyle wholly devoted to God, seeking his glory in all things, enjoying his pleasure in our lives. So to walk God is to live humbly. It means I have a relationship with him. It means I have a prayerful, experiential, intimate relationship with him. It means I'm growing, I'm changing, and I'm living a life that brings him honor and glory. So what is what is what is God saying to us, he's saying, look, your heart is far from me. Let me remind you of my faithfulness so that your heart will be aflame. And I want you to get to know me, my justice, my love, my kindness. And I want you to become more and more like me. I want you to be about justice. I want you to treat people fairly, fight against injustice. I want you to love the way I have loved you with loving kindness. But as you do that, I want you to look at me and I want you to walk humbly living your life for me. Again, these are so difficult to do, but how do I do that? How do I live like this? And it's only possible, again, when I look at Christ. I think justice and I think mercy 
You think of the cross. At the cross, we see justice and mercy. It's meeting, right? Justice is that we sinners need to pay for our sins. But mercy is Christ going to the cross and taking the wrath that we deserve, the justice that we deserve on himself. We see that justice and mercy meeting at the cross. And we're moved by that. We have to be moved by that. How can we not? And then we talk about walking humbly. Again, I see Christ. When I, when I read that word, walking humbly with your God, I think of how the Son of God to take our place, humbly walk with the cross on himself to Calvary, bleeding, and how he went to the cross, and with humility, he died the death that we deserve. And when I look at Christ, his justice, his kindness, and how he walked humbly to the cross for me, for you, for his people, how can I have a cold heart? How can I say, God, you're a drag? How can I be weary of serving this God? I say, thank you. I say, forgive me. I say, I'm forgiven because of what you have done. So now I want to do justice. I want to love kindness. I want to walk humbly with you, growing in you, living my life for you and you alone. And I hope that is my desire, your desire, our desire to live as his people. Let's pray. Father, we...